welcome the lady with the paper hat asked me as she poured a little more coffee into my cup as that you say I said as a sad smile spread across her face and I looked up she said I'd take you to be a soft-boiled man I don't understand I reluctantly confessed listen son she said I don't mean to upset you but you've got to know I'm gonna have to break a couple of things to make your breakfast just glad to see a blue morning and yellow egg at the break of rain Welcome to How Do You Like Your Eggs, the show for people who love to eat by people who live to cook. My name's Asher Griffith, and Jake and Anna are still hiding underneath the table. It's just me again today, and my grandfather, Robert Lynn, who's here with me today, retired rice farmer, and while not a service industry professional per se, a service member for quite some time. Uh, Say hello. (laughs) Hello. <laughs> Most people refer to me as Bobby Lynn. Bobby, right. I call him Poppy. If anybody starts to get confused when we switch monikers around. Um, okay, so today the desk at How Do You Like Your Eggs looks like a picnic table on a porch on the shores of Greer's Ferry Lake in north central Arkansas. So you have, you'll notice a lot of ambient sounds in this episode. It looks a little strange also because, as you know, we're still suffering through this uh, mild apocalypse right now. So we're both wearing surgical masks sitting across the table from each other at far ends. How's this How's this apocalypse hitting you? Well, it's uh, been inconvenient, but uh, we're just uh, wearing the mask and the gloves, not visiting uh, Walmart or Sam's too often. And when we do, we try to order our groceries by telephone, and then they bring them out and put them in the back of the car, which makes it hopefully safer. I will be happy when this epidemic, if that's the right word to use, is over, and they uh, find some uh, way that they can control it which we hope will be very soon. It has had a dramatic effect on our nation, the United States of America, which I dearly love. I spent uh, two years in Korea in 1950-51, and uh, I still would have done it. I would do it today if... I needed to for our country and for uh, for everyone that lives here. It has been uh, dramatic. We've also been ordering our groceries and getting them from the getting them brought out to the car. Yeah, hope hopefully that's safer. You were in the army, right? Yes. Um, Eighth Army. 
8th Army? I landed in January with MacArthur in Incheon, Korea at night. Was wounded once. Mm -hmm. Went to Osaka, Japan to the hospital in six weeks. I went back and then I got up at the Chosen Reservoir. I had frostbite. So they evacuated me out again. So Mm -hmm. I'm therefore they say a disabled veteran and I'm much appreciative of this but I would do it again if mm-hmm. need be still pretty still pretty mobile though that's good despite your oh yes status yes. <laughs> do you remember that time we were eating at a we went to like a Chinese restaurant in Biloxi Mississippi and the waiter comes up and she says you know, she says something to the effect of, can I take your order, please? But you recognized that she was Korean and started speaking to her in Korean to all of our surprise? Yes, I had some uh, training in uh, the vocabulary of the Korean language. I did, I was with, ended up eventually with 8th Army Headquarters interrogating uh, prisoners that, uh, mostly Chinese, some North Koreans, that we had captured for the 8th Army Headquarters in Seoul, well, actually in Yongdong-po, Korea. That's how I got to know some Korean. Not fluently, but enough to do what they needed me to do. The interrogations? Yes, interrogation, yes. That's really interesting. What What were you trying to get out of them? Well, name, rank, serial number, and from where they were located before they came into North Korea, across the Korean border out of China, or across the, which we now call the 38th parallel, Uh what unit they were from, and if could be, we wanted to know, naturally, so we could get our artillery and our aircraft out of Kempo Air Force Base, K-10, into that area so we could uh, lob some munitions in on them. Right, so just their positions, more or less, was what you were looking for. because most of them, it was snow, snow up, normally up to your knees or up to your belt. Uh, Most of them were clothed in white, uniforms so it made photographs from the air hard to recognize that there were that many troops located on the ground so we needed to get all the information we could from these prisoners cold huh yes it was cold i i have seen it 32 degrees below zero Mm -hmm. on several mornings Several nights, a lot of snow, mm-hmm. a lot of snow. That makes for tough camping, I imagine. Yeah. You introduced me as a rice farmer. Yes, after my wife and I finished school at Arkansas State University, I was high school principal for 10 years, taught biology and zoology two years, went back and did my graduate work at Arkansas State University, 
came home and have never been back in the classroom since. So I'm 88 years old, almost. We'll be one, first of June. I went to rice farming and have rice farmed ever since. The little town that we live in is near Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is located Arkansas State University. And that's only 18 miles north of the little town we lived in named Wiener, W-E-I-N-E-R, <laughs> which incidentally was the duck capital of the world for many, many years. In fact, my grandfather came from Illinois to duck hunt. At that time, there was no game and fish or Arkansas Department of Wildlife, no limit on ducks. He duck hunted, that was his occupation. He duck hunted and shipped them to St. Louis on the train by the barrels full, 50 to the barrel, and that's how he lived <laughs> Wow! through the fall, winter, and early spring until the ducks, mallards, migrated back to the north, Saskatchewan, and to the prairies located in North and South Dakota for the old hens to set and hatch and have young and reach maturity and come back to Arkansas. I came home in 1952, and before I started to school, to college, I duck hunted that winter. We had uh, 72 days duck season at that time, and I duck hunted every day. We have one little restaurant in Wiener, and we, all the duck hunters, would eat there in the morning about four or five o'clock, and then we'd go duck hunting. Normally, we hunted in the woods because there, there were not too many fields at that time that were cleared of timber, mainly hardwood, to plant rice. So we hunt, hunted ducks in the woods, even though people do hunt them today in the fields. Right. But I care not to hunt in the fields. I'd rather hunt in the winter. Yeah. Another note to this, every morning that season, I know a lot of you have heard of Werner von Braun, a great German scientist that helped us, truly helped us to go to the moon. Von Braun was a good scientist. He duck hunted every day that I was there. He also ate in that little in that little restaurant every morning with us when we ate breakfast. He dearly loved to duck hunt. Huh. Limit then was eight, eight mallards. Per day, huh? <clears throat> per day. Mm -hmm. Had to have a license, state and federal duck stamp. But Wiener is located in the county of Poinsett, P-O-I-N-S-E-T-T, -T, which is located in northeast Arkansas. That's the northeastern part of the state. It's Delta. And the county of Poinsett grows more rice than any county in the United States as of today. Our county seat is Harrisburg, one word, H-A-R-R-I-S-B-U-R-G. Hmm. 
That's our county seat. Y'all were hunting ducks to sell them also, or no, just for no, yourselves. No. Uh-huh. We would fill our freezers with, at that time, we picked our own ducks. Some people call it plucking, but we picked our own ducks, dressed them, cleaned them, and put them in the freezer. We That way we had... Well, you had duck and yeah, duck yesterday. I, sh- I did, and it was delicious. We have uh, duck all year long that way because they are uh, a good food. And they uh, they love rice, dearly love rice. Years ago, ago, before there was rice in that part of the country, they first raised their first rice on a trial basis in 1902 in Wiener. And from that, it has grown to the large, largest county production in the United States. But before we had rice in that part of the country, when my grandfather and grandmother came there from the state of Illinois, they came from the coal mining area, southern Illinois, near Carbondale and Heron, they came in a team in a wagon, but at that time the ducks fed on acorns off of cherry bark red oak, uh, white oak, willow oak, and what else they could find to eat, but they mm-hmm. dearly loved acorns. But it's so much easier to eat rice, eat rice than it is to eat acorns even though they still love acorns. In fact, when I duck hunt, we have a duck pond yet that we left in timber. And when I duck hunt, I have two blinds in the field, tank blinds, that you can walk around in and have a stove in to keep warm. But I I put them in there 25, 28 years ago. Thought I would use them, but as of yet, I've never crawled in one of those blinds in the field. I'd just rather hunt in the woods mm-hmm. because that's what I grew up when I first began hunting when I was about eight years old with my grandpa and my dad. Fields are considerably more wet and muddy, I imagine, too, which is oh yeah, seems pretty uncomfortable. Right. But in those blinds, they're steel blinds, and they're dry inside. Mm-hmm. And you can sit down and drink your coffee, but you can sit down on a log in the woods and drink your coffee, and the fauna and the flora are much more appealing in the woods than they are out in the middle of a rice field. So your grandpa was selling the ducks, though? Oh, yes. So Grand- I guess he, they, and they would go to St. Louis, Louis to be, like... Sold have, in restaurants. Have their fat rendered yes. and processed and sold to restaurants. Yes, That's really you, interesting. You can't do that now. Right. Wild game is... That, that's what that's I, prohibited, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at that time, there was no limit on them. And it was... Uh, he got a nickel apiece for the ducks and paid the shipping on them, but said he made a, a good living doing that. I still have his Winchester 16-gauge full choke barrel pump gun hammer has a hammer on it that he shot until he was 82 years old he I'm sorry he was 92 years old 
He used that gun till the day he died. He loved that old Winchester pump. 97 model. 1897. 1897. Wow. Yeah, acorn-fed wild duck seems like it would be a, a delicacy on a menu today. But I guess that was par for the course in St. Louis restaurants back in the day. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not wild, dearly beloved acorn-fed duck, but you know what is par for the course, dear listener? Fresh, high-quality programming for you at no cost. Except for the $1 a month you're going to go pledge right now at patreon.com slash cicada radio. Unless you're driving a stake into the heart of a horrible robotic zombie vampire. If that is what you're up to, you must be under a bit of extra stress, in which case you might want to listen to this. Hello, friends. I am April Stolf, host of the new podcast, Disco Dharma, that will drop next week. Join me on a multicellular journey where I will share tips, tools, strategies, guided meditations, and special guests that will support you on discovering the life you love. It's rare that we need good vibes like we need them now. And if this sounds like your calming cup of herbal tea, be sure to tune in to Disco Dharma wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to How Do You Like Your Eggs? As the years went on, they built a water control lake in the Ozarks, which is 110 miles from our house down in the Delta. And it's located, the dam for this lake is located in Heber Springs, Arkansas. There's a gigantic generating dam there that generates electricity. And it was a watershed lake. It's over 32 miles from the south end at the dam on the Little Red River to where we have a shack up in up on Middle Fork, which is near the north end of the lake, 32 miles long, north and south. Mm-hmm, which is where we're sitting. It's where we're sitting, near a recreational uh, retirement center called Fairfield Bay, near the little town of Edgemont and Shirley, Arkansas. Edgemont is on the south side of Fairfield Bay, and Shirley is on the north side very remote in this area up here. My uncle by marriage bought 140 acres here in 1963. And in 1964, John F. Kennedy, who you remember was Harvey Lee Oswald, supposedly. But John F. Kennedy dedicated this lake here. There's a gigantic monument where the dam is, overlooking the dam on the Little Red River, which runs on south down through the Ozark, till eventually it empties into what they call the White River, which in turn later empties into the Mississippi, which empties into the Gulf down at uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Or New Orleans. <laughs> uh, we say it always. Always. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a beautiful lake because it is in the Ozarks. 
and we built us a shack here back in 64. I've got uh, three sisters that have also built homes here. I have a first cousin by marriage here. I have one, one daughter here. Now the daughter that lives down at Fort Walton Beach that has recently retired and her plans are that she will build her home here just as soon as her husband retires. We call it the commune down here. We're about the only ones here. It's pretty properly a commune at this point. The whole, whole family's here almost. Almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Corps gave us a permit years ago to build a launching ramp, which had to be build, built by their specifications as the Corps wanted it built, which is good because it'll last forever. So we have a place right here within a hundred yards of our shack and three or four of the other places where they live. We have a place that we can launch our boat. Real good fishing. We eat a lot of fish. Eat a lot of crappie. A lot of flathead catfish we trot line. A lot of, a lot of good bass fishing. Have y'all been fishing lately? Not in the last few days. Too much work. Oh, man. I've been married uh, 64 years, almost 65, and it, I'm 88 years old, almost. My wife is 82, and she's still capable of finding things that need to be done instead of going fishing every day. <laughs> and everyone else seems like all of my neighbors are going fishing. Yeah, there's a lot of fishing going on right now. If you folks that are listening, I don't mm-hmm. think you have to wonder why she would be able to come up with these things that the men need to do. <laughs> you can figure that out. We should go fishing Oh, soon. we need to. Mm-hmm. Yes, everyone else is fishing and catching fish. I know, they're going to drag them all out of there and none will be left for us. Of course, everyone that catches fish, our neighbors and kinfolk, we, we have big fish fries, make music. We all like to karaoke or play music. Not really talented, but we think that we're pretty good. So hey, now, speak for yourself. That's how it counts. <laughs> When's our next fish fry coming up? Well, we're talking about pretty soon. I guess we still have the, uh, the whole... We still have the fish. And the, and the social distancing to be worried about. Yeah, that's, that's been a problem, problem this social distancing. <laughs> My daughter won't even let me come in and get a cup of coffee. <laughs> She told me eight weeks ago, I said, well, we're going to stop by and have a cup of coffee. We had been down home in the Delta to see how everything was going on the rice farms. I said, Melanie, her name is Melanie Adams. I said, Mom and I are going to stop by and have a good cup of coffee before we go unload. Daddy, you can't come in. I said, oh, this is strange. I have two daughters, the one that lives in Fort Walton Beach and this one that lives here. She's a retired surgical RN and her husband is a PA. He was in oncology down at University of Arkansas Med Center before he retired at Little Rock and they both live here. Built a new home and they're right here next door to us. But anyhow she said, Daddy you can't come in. I said, what? She said, no. I said, you know that's the first time I've ever had my one of my daughters say that I couldn't come in the house, but we've uh, we've been uh, 
We haven't been in her house. She hasn't been in ours. We talk at a distance almost every day, but I guess we've still got to watch this, uh, and this is the second day of May. I guess we're going to have to continue to watch this social distancing and wearing masks and, and gloves, at least when we're around opposite people. Yeah, it can be dangerous. Uh, but down here, it kind of, honestly, well, besides the fact that like you and I are wearing masks right now, it's, it feels very much like business as usual to me, but it's, you know, we're really removed from everything that's going on. Yes, when we go to the Ace Hardware store and sit outside and call them and ask them to bring out what we need and put in the back of the truck or the van, 95% of the people that go in and out of the Ace Hardware and in into our little local grocery store here nearby, which is a blessing to have. It's a good store. Jimmy Cravens owns the store, and he's a fine fellow. But 95% of them or more do not wear masks or gloves. And uh, I guess they feel that it's not necessary. But we're taking every precaution that we can take. Definitely seems like out here where the population is so much less dense, people aren't taking it as seriously. Truly, on the other hand, they're probably not coming into contact with a a large number of people on a daily basis. Because it is so sparsely populated. This part of the country up in the Ozark Mountains. Not to mention everybody's just out on the lake, it seems like. Yeah, a lot of people. Catching fish. (laughs) A lot of people fishing that, uh, because they're not working, Mm -hmm. they've been laid off and asked not to come back. And so they say, well, what the heck? You got to eat. Yeah, go fishing. Mm -hmm. So we've seen more fishermen in the last eight weeks than we normally do all year. But if my wife didn't have so much work for me to do, I'd be fishing myself. We should convince her to let you have a day off. Yeah. Well, uh, that's been about a half an hour, and um, that's usually how long our show is, but we always finish up with um, a couple of questions for our guest, and the first is, what's your favorite place to to go and eat usually in New Orleans but since none of that's really pertinent right now how about what was your favorite dish in Korea in Korea most of the time of course we we were asked not to eat from the, the from the local restaurants and there were not many of them because Incheon uh, Yongdongpo Seoul which was the mm. capital uh, they were flattened. They were leveled. Mm-hmm. And the people had gone to remote areas. And uh, I ate very little Korean food. Mm. Usually ate what we uh, had in our, in our compounds, which usually was we tried to have fenced areas when we weren't moving. Mm-hmm. North. So you were, they told you not to eat at the restaurants because they might poison you, or no, not poison you. Uh, maybe unsanitary foods. Oh. Uh, Just as a public health measure. Yes. You know, the only fertilizer at that time that they had was human waste. Oh. So there was always a stench. Mm-hmm. They hauled it in wooden barrels, 
pulled by oxen. And uh, they poured that by hand on their fields just as they planted their rice. Mm-hmm. They would stretch a string across the field, which, and I'm saying a field, where ours might be 80 acres or 160 acres, theirs might be 50 feet across. Mm-hmm. But they'd stretch a string and put a stob down, tie that sting around, string around it, and they would line up along that string, little baskets hanging around their waist with the rice plants in them, mm-hmm. already germinated the rice, and maybe the rice was four to six inches tall. And when he said yoy, which meant go, they bent down and stuck that rice in the mud. Mm-hmm. Then the fellow that was on the end where the little stobs were holding the string taut, he picked it up and moved it six inches and stuck it down uh-huh. again. And likewise, the number of people, many of them boys and girls, of course they were in school uh-huh. at that time, it was totally flat in the country was. Right. He'd move those stobs six inches apart He'd say yoy again, and they'd put the rice plants down, huh. and that's the way they're planted. They planted their little plots of rice. Now we did eat some peaches and apples, but they were wrapped in. At that time, we had Sears and Roebuck and Pennies and Montgomery Ward catalogs. Now where they got them, I don't know, mm-hmm. and newspapers. But they wrapped that fruit with that paper to keep insects from penetrating it and causing it to rot. Mm -hmm. And I have been asked by my lieutenant general, my last name is Lynn, L-I-N-N, Lynn, go get us a box of peaches. Mm -hmm. And they would take it to the officer's mess hall and they would make peach cobblers. Or I'd go get Apples, he'd say, go get us a box of apples. But uh, we didn't eat any of the food right. that they prepared. Because I'm sure they were clean, but you never know. True. You could have had uh, amoebic dysentery. Even something that y'all might not be, your systems might not have been used oh, to. they wouldn't have been used to. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the second question that we always ask is if you could give your younger self some advice usually pertaining to to your service industry career i guess on this show but just in general if you could offer advice to a younger self what do you think it would be had i known when i was young and in college that i was going to go to korea for two years and be wounded once and frostbite the second time i would have gone through ROTC in college mm. and a bit have been a commissioned officer because not that I am being uh, or grumbling about the treatment I got in service I was treated well and have been treated well since I got out of service for the benefits that a veteran gets but had I had I had it to do over, I would have become an officer, and it's somewhat better to be an officer, and the pay is much better. Mm. I went 
when my wife and I, before we started the college, she said, why don't you go to school? And I said, I've already been to school. She's younger than myself. She's 82 and I'm 80, we'll be 88. Mm -hmm. I said, I've already been to school. She said, no, I mean, I've registered in college. Why don't you go? I said, well, I never thought of that. But you know how some boys are about girls that they think are good looking. They have a tendency to listen to them and want to follow along behind them. So she, she was going to college and I was going to be left there at Wiener. So I enrolled in college, checked with the VA. I didn't know how much I didn't have any money because I hadn't saved any naturally. But when I enrolled in college and went the four years, I drew per month $63.86 a month. People will say today, Bobby, why don't you be truthful about that? But that's what I went to college mm -hmm. on. I drew wow. $63.86 a month. And we had what we call the wigwam that was in the commerce building, and it was a hangout place. And if you were a veteran and went in there in the morning, and the lady's name that ran the hangout laid a nickel down, the rest of the day you didn't have to pay for coffee. And normally when we'd get out of class, we'd go to the wigwam, as it was called, and we'd get coffee. But if you had a nickel in the morning to pay Addie for your coffee, the rest of the day you didn't. But mm -hmm. drawing $83.86 a month and doing all the work I could, at, I had a friend that had a filling station, and he would let me wash cars, change oil, and at that time vehicles had probably 20 or 30 grease certs on them. He would let me grease cars. But a lot of mornings I'd go into the wigwam without a nickel. Hattie would just set me a cup of coffee and the rest of the day I had a coffee just like I had a nickel. In other words, the next time I got a nickel, I'd lay a nickel down. I got coffee all day. But those were uh, some of the times that uh, you just learned to get along with. Of course, they grow a lot of big watermelons in northeast Arkansas because there's a lot of sandy soil northeast of Jonesboro and watermelons will weigh 40 and 50 pounds. And I'd go up to the ice house, and the fellow that owned the ice house, back then you didn't know, have a refrigerator that would make, have an ice machine in it. Naturally, we wouldn't have had one had they had one. We lived in a little eight by 40 trailer. But anyhow, you go up there, and he'd buy watermelons by the truckload and lay them in the floor of the ice house. And those watermelons would be ice cold. He'd say, look around, Bobby, and get the biggest one you get. And we'd eat watermelon, at least for dinner and supper, for three days with a 45-pound watermelon. Wow, that but sounds delicious. I didn't weigh <laughs> yeah. what I weigh now either. <laughs> yeah, a watermelon diet will keep you trim, I imagine. <laughs> it kept it kept me trim. Well, we had um, we had a guest a week ago or so, uh, and I had erroneously thought that our hosts, our regular hosts, Anna and Jake, asked three questions at the end of the show, but I couldn't think of the third one. The reason for that is because there are only two. But my guest came up with the question, which I've now asked to the well to one other guest at least but i thought i might make it a tradition as long as i'm in charge here what's your best story about maggots 
about maggots. Well, I was up in the duck pond, incidentally, and this is strange, but that it happens. We have a lot of trouble with the animal called beaver. They stop up the water outlets in our rice fields and around where you want to get the water off. Uh, we rotate rice and soybeans mm -hmm. because you can't plant rice and then the next year plant rice again. It just doesn't produce like it should. And then you get into what they call a red rice problem, which is undesirable to the women because a red rice kernel looks like a mouse pill. <laughs> and if it's in the rice laying on the shelf at Walmart or Kroger or Save-A-Lot, and they see that grain of red rice, which is black, in that cellophane package, they won't buy that package of rice. So we don't, it's detrimental to growing rice year after year on the same ground. So we rotate it with soybeans. And I'm a member of Riceland Foods, which is a member and one of the largest member co-ops in America. It's headquartered in Stuttgart, Arkansas. And in Wiener, we can, we can store about 300 million bushel of, of rice every year. They dry it. They do, they do not uh, get it ready for human consumption. They just store it in these giant buildings and keep it dried and then they ship it to Jonesboro or to Stuttgart or to one of the milling plants and they mill it and package it. And of course then there's a lot of it that's milled and hauled by tractor trailer rigs and backed out over barges in Memphis or Helena or Osceola in Blyville, Arkansas, and they dump the white rice after it's been milled into the barge or barges, and they go overseas to the Orient, to Mexico, to Europe, and to all the world. But uh, back to the maggots. I was up in the duck pond to see if the beavers had built a dam and wasn't letting water out of the field that we were going to plant soybeans in, 160 acres. And I smelled something down from the relift. We picked that water up with this big 16-inch relift and put it into underground irrigation, which is 12-inch. And two miles away from the relift, we can open a valve and the water comes out. And it's cheap water. We're not lowering our aquifer by pumping it out of the ground. We're pumping mm. surface water and running it through the pipes, and, which is good. It's better water than pumping it out of the ground mm. and, and depleting our water source. But I walked down from the relift, and there was a big beaver that the game and fish had caught in a trap but hadn't been back to their traps in four or five days. It was caught in a conobar trap. And this trap will catch him and he can't get out. And it usually cuts his air supply off and he dies. He probably weighed 40 pounds. Ooh. And he was laying there and probably uh, 10,000 flies on him and maggots crawling all over him. And I just hate to be around anything that's got the maggots crawling on because you know what the maggot will turn into. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fly 
and then someday at lunch you're sitting at home and a fly visits you around your plate and you think of where that fly came from. <laughs> so then you're busy trying to get the fly swatter and kill that fly. Mm-hmm. And that's my distaste or dislike of maggots, which in turn turn into flies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a bunch. Let's go fishing soon. Sure. All right. We're on our way. All right. All right, BBs, that's my poppy. You've been listening to How Do You Like Your Eggs. I'm Asher Griffith, and this show was brought to you by me alone, along with the support of our gracious Patreon subscribers. I did not make a plight for sponsorship this time, you lucky dogs, but direct any queries re- regarding anything and hint to louder at cicadaradio.com. Remember to wash your rotten maggot-festooned hands so we can see each other next time on How Do You Like Your Eggs. Just glad to see a blue morning and a yellow egg At the break of day But you gotta break them before you make them That's what they say But you gotta break them before you make them That's what they say You gotta break them before you make them That's what they say This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.